You're listening to the Group Practice Exchange Podcast. We're the business development resource for group practice owners, where we talk candidly about business ownership and leadership. I'm your host, Maureen Werbach. This episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes is my favorite EHR, and it's one that I've been using in my own group practice since 2014. They've got everything you need to be successful in your group practice, and they're constantly making updates and have live support. If you want two free months of Therapy Notes, go to www.therapynotes.com forward slash r forward slash the group practice exchange. Need a new accountant, bookkeeper, or fractional CFO? Green Oak Accounting is an accounting firm that works specifically with private practices. I've been using their fractional CFO services for many years in my own group practice, and I couldn't grow my business without them. Mention TGPE to get $100 off your first month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode. I am super excited for those of you, well, one, who follow me on social, you know that my podcasting is batched and that this week I'm doing, or today I should say, I'm doing 10 interviews in a row. And my first one of the day I'm super excited for is Casey Compton. All of you I know in my audience already know who she is, but we're going to be talking about her upcoming book that is coming out really soon. And so I'm really excited to just chat with her about the why behind this book, because it's so different than your other one. So, hey, Casey. Hi. So your newest book in search of you is, you said coming out in, did you say March or May? Yeah, March. March. 12th? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So obviously everyone in my audience knows you for a similar reason to me, which is practice building. And you've written a book that is related to business. And I'm really intrigued by this one. I got to read the book, so I already know, you know, what's in the book. But I'm really intrigued by the fact that you wrote something so different and like non-businessy. And so, well, one, maybe take us on a quick little journey of kind of the meat and potatoes of the book. And then also just what got you to wanting to write a book about this? Oh, meat and potatoes is, it's a book for women who are most likely high-functioning, overachievers, very goal-oriented, driven, a lot of entrepreneurs. I kind of had that in mind as I was writing but who continue to go, 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 and they're searching for something to fulfill them. And for a lot of people, they think that business success is what's going to do it or, you know, setting goals and reaching those goals or hitting those milestones is going to give you that feeling of fulfillment and joy. And for me, it didn't. And there was a big question, you know, before writing the book of like, If I've done all of this and I still don't feel it, then what's it going to take? And so the book is really about the journey of looking inward to seek that fulfillment, self-love and joy and really how you can use that to just feel better, live a happier life and still do all of the business things, but doing them with more intention and with more, I would say, reward. It feels more rewarding. Once you have love and joy. What prompted you to write this specifically? Yeah, I mean, it's literally an open book. Yeah. I um, was so surprised when I read it. I was like, oh, 
this is like the story that like the people you feel closest to would know, but the readers are going to get a real deep dive into you. Yeah. And I did pare it back some, believe it or not, in a lot of ways. I had to keep in mind, like my children are going to read this one day or no soon. And so there are some things that I either just left a little vague or left out completely just because my kids are going to read. But what prompted me to write it was it was so ironic because the culmination of Fix the Snacks for Healthcare, when that book launched, it should have been the happiest, most fulfilling time of my life. But what people didn't know is that there was all kinds of hell and chaos going on behind the scenes. And, you know, everyone was asking, like, well, what are you going to write next? And my editor and book coach, AJ, was like, okay, what's the next one going to be? Because you got to keep going. And just thinking, like, my head is not in business right now. I just can't do it. And one of the things when I was doing Fix the Sex was I got really into the stories and remembering things about the past that I, as a I don't know. I mean, I don't know if this is normal for business owners or women entrepreneurs or what, but I'm just very focused on the forward. I don't go in the past very often. I don't think about stuff, but it brought about all of these memories. And for some reason, it was just like, I needed to stick with that anyway. So that's kind of how the book got started. It was actually supposed to be a book about systems, believe it or not. The book, I think Emily and I counted, we wrote a total of four complete manuscripts during this process. Yeah. So Fix This Next took me five weeks from start to finish to write. Holy moly. I did not know that. How did I not know that? I it did. It was, it was so fast. But and this, here I am with my book. It's like a year and a half in. I mean, no, I am 250 pages through. I'm pretty much close to done. But holy moly, five weeks. Probably. Wait, how long did this book take you? This one took about a year and a half. Oh. Yeah. Well, which I feel like makes sense. I mean, it's way more personal and vulnerable yeah. and in-depth than a book like Fix This Next. Right. Well, in a lot of it, in the very beginning of the book, I write a letter to the reader. And I tell you as the reader, like, look, a lot of this was written in real time. And so I knew that the process of writing was going to have to take longer because I was writing about my present state of mind and being. And so it was hard. Like, I just like to get stuff done, you know, like fast when it comes to doing things. So it was, it was very difficult and it required a lot of patience, but it allowed a lot more to be in my rear view. And so I was able to make more connections, make more meaning, make more of the things that, you know, I've been needing to do all along. You write a lot. What I like is each chapter has like a phrase, like part of the title, you know, that like tells you sort of the story, but it's like, you know, a Caseyism, the way it's even written. I'm forgetting now because I read the book so long ago. The one that stands out is about your dad. It's a chapter on your dad. And there's like a phrase that you used that like it just reels you in to want to know about it. But I was going to say each chapter sort of talks about a different point in your life, whether it's in the past or current, and then it weaves in how personal fulfillment or achievements have or have not supported your overall feeling of like happiness or contentment. Tell me what was the biggest thing that you maybe learned about yourself as you're writing. You said you were writing this like in real time. So it wasn't like 
you are the expert of you now writing about this. You were kind of knee deep in it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man, there's a lot. There are so many epiphanies that happened to me over that whole period of time. I learned a lot. Okay, so, you know, I was one of these people who is a licensed therapist, but had never really been in therapy. And so as I'm writing, I'm I'm in therapy. I have three different therapists at this time, like working through different things with each one of them. So I learned a lot about, you know, like how my childhood and my upbringing has influenced who I am more than I ever realized. And I learned about generational trauma. I learned how I was inadvertently influencing my children and the people in my life because of generational trauma that I had to recognize. There's some stories in the book about Mamie singing, about how You know, one of the things I remember in my childhood was my mom saying, turn off the music, turn off the music, turn off the music. Like I I had these, these voices and they became part of me thinking that joy had to be quiet. Happiness had to be quiet. And I'd tell a story about how my daughter, basically I'd taught that to my daughter without meaning to. And I had to be like, oh, nope. (laughs) You know, without going through this process and really looking back, I would have never been able to make those connections. I learned defense mechanisms that I use. I learned so much about just myself, how I show up in relationships, which you may think, oh, what does that have to do with business? But it had everything to do with business because the way that I operate my business now is very different than it used to be because of how I learned so much about just my go-tos in relationship dynamics, whether it doesn't even have to be romantic. I mean, it could just be like a work relationship. So just, gosh, I can't, that, there's, that's just a loaded question. Every, yeah, I, just, I so figured. <laughs> but that's, not that's even, a lot of things. Yeah. It's not even the same. Not even the same person, really, in a lot of ways. So you had mentioned in the beginning that this is a book for women, and it would be a great book, especially for women entrepreneurs or business owners or leaders. What insights do you feel like will be gleaned by, you know, I I think about just myself as a business owner and and in the past year also coming to some realization around burnout. I recently did a podcast episode on it where I, I took a month off in 2019, summer of 2019, right before COVID, and went to Costa Rica and literally did no work at mm-hmm. all, not even an email, nothing. And I came back and like immediately was within a day back into that same burnout. It was like, this makes no sense. And realizing that it had less to do with taking time off or vacations or seeing friends or doing hobbies or all this stuff and more to do with doing things with intention or with purpose and like looking at how the things I do in my businesses that they had gone sort of off alignment in terms of my own needs and that that just kept that burnout for like a handful of years further. Yeah. So I guess I in reading your book and thinking about how like it's really easy for women and female leaders and business owners to sort of feel like achievement is the way that they can prove themselves to the world, right? What are some of the things that you feel like this book can sort of be the antidote for that? Well, one of the things that it helps to do is bring about your own internal messaging about your life and your why or your reasons for being a business owner. For example, I learned that because of 
the family dynamics growing up in my household, I have this weird, semi-unhealthy need to take care of men. As ridiculous as that sounds, you know what I'm saying? I like literally watched it my whole entire life from my grandma to my mom to my sister. Like every woman in my life is a very independent thinking, driven, hardworking woman. And in many situations, they took care of men, whether it's financially, you know, emotionally, physically, whatever, in, in every way. And and I think for me, I had to think a lot about like, why am I doing this? Like, who am I trying to take care of here? And making a lot of those connections led me to realize that I was doing a lot of things in my business for other people other than myself and my kids. And so that helped a lot with the mindset that would help prevent burnout. But I think what you said is a good takeaway from the book. It's really about finding balance and finding balance in all parts of your life. You know, having a fulfilling relationship. Also, I had never experienced intimacy. You know, I did not realize that intimacy and honesty and truth were connected. And so no wonder I never felt intimacy because I've never had honesty and truth in my relationship. So like all these little things help me to put my role as a business owner in perspective a little bit more. It allowed me to remember why I did this in the first place. I did this for flexibility, autonomy, being able to make choices. We're probably a lot alike and like, I want what I want and I want to do what I want to do. And that's why I did this. But yet, like we end up so trapped by our businesses. Yeah. even realize it. Yeah. You mentioned that you are so different in how you lead in your business now. What's changed? How are you leading differently? And obviously, how did that book kind of bring that to fruition? So the book was not like this was not an intentional thing that I was trying. It wasn't like I sat down. I was like, okay, I want to be a better leader in my business here. I'm going to do some research and whatever. It really came about in therapy and just recognizing patterns. So I realized that in a lot of ways, I was leading from a fear-based mindset where I was making decisions or not making decisions out of fear that, you know, someone was going to leave or, you know, if someone did quit, then it was going to hurt the business or that I was going to have to fire someone. And I realized that that was coming from a lot of abandonment issues and abandonment trauma growing up, I was getting triggered very easily when it came to people leaving. I tell the story about the suitcase in the book when Kelsey walked down the stairs carrying a suitcase and it like sent me into this weird, like I was not even in my own body and realizing, oh my gosh, like I'm being triggered by a suitcase and then figured out why. And then realizing how that translates into my business, like when someone leaves the business or, you know, just all of the things that I had in place of scarcity and fear that I had to put myself in check. So I think is something a lot of us, at least in our industry, and -hmm. I'm sure that translates beyond ours experience too. So I can see that being helpful. What strategies have you noticed have been helpful for women who lead who are like actively trying to work on or maybe have recognized that 
their outward achievements, their success feels like there's like a never ending, like the bar just keeps going higher and higher of like, I'm going to feel good when this happens. What things have you learned are helpful and what got you to realize, yes, this continuous growth is actually that's never going to lead me to eventually not feel empty or to eventually feel like happy about my success. What is the antidote? I know you mentioned working through, you know, childhood traumas or looking at things that maybe are a part of your upbringing that sort of bring that line of thinking into play and like how to deconstruct that. What else did you notice played into it? A lack of self-love. So I think when anytime where we find ourselves, and this is tricky because I, I would never want to discourage a hungry entrepreneur. You know, like if you're out there like really hungry, it doesn't mean that you have all kinds of problems. You know, it, that's I think so there's I, a difference between hungry and enjoying the like the hunt or whatever versus yeah. like being hungry because there's something missing and you feel right. like that drive of like finding what's missing is going to be found through hunger. True, true. Well, and another point there is I realized I was doing this a lot. I was super motivated and I was over-functioning and overworking. I believe in, in a lot of ways as a distraction from the feelings and the reality that was my life, like my whole life, that I was just trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. And that checks with attachment styles and all of that. And, you know, realizing, okay, I tend to have an anxious avoidant attachment style. That's really how it was showing up in my personal life. So I think it's more about just like trying to figure out what is your motivation? Like, what is it that you're truly doing? And how is it making you feel? And is that feeling lasting? I mean, of course, you're going to feel happiness if you check that box or, you know, do the thing that you want to or hit that million dollars or hit that two or three or four or five. But how long does that last? And uh, for me, it was just not sustainable. And so every time I would hit one milestone, I was already creating another one. Yep. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. My last question for you. Have there been instances where the act of you being active in creating meaning for yourself post maybe writing this book or since writing this book, like changed your perspective on things or influenced your life choices in a different way? Mm -hmm. It's allowed me to I find myself much more present now. You sound different. People tell me that all the yeah. time. Yeah. I mean, the audience might not know what I know you to some degree. I've come and visited you a few times in Kentucky and we've seen each other both from a professional space and in a fun space. Yeah. And I feel like I can tell just how you interact, at least in this instance, feels different from the Casey of a few years ago. Yeah. And it's crazy because I had such a lack of awareness of it. Then I do feel different, but people tell me that all the time. And so I think it definitely has, I can tell the differences in my relationships with my children, being more present with them. And that's always been something that I've struggled with is one, like I have ADHD. I'm always like, you know, whatever. So just focusing and being present has always been difficult for me. But there has definitely been this major shift in slowing down in like 
being seeing things differently, like I view things differently. I laugh at things differently. The meaning behind things is just different for me. I find myself investing more in my therapist in a different way that I've never done before. And they notice that. So I think it's all really linked back to self-love. And that was the big part of the book. In the very beginning, I'm telling this story about I go to therapy for the very first time and the therapist asks me a question I can't answer. And I feel like an idiot, you know? I don't know. I, I mean, I just don't know. And I felt like my teenage daughter. I don't know. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I just got a teenager now. And yeah, it's, sure. just, it's like, yeah. I actually am slightly amused because I see myself in them because oh. I also was a little bit of a shitty teenager, unhappy, not knowing, you know, what I wanted out of life and just feeling like a little cranky about things. And I'm like, oh, this is what I get. It's kind yeah. of, I, I kind of laugh at it actually when I see it. <laughs> I'm like, I can't even be too mad at your snottiness right Dang, now. Me too. Yeah. I used to get really triggered by her little snarky behavior. And then now I'm just like, <laughs> that's me. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah. I show up differently for my kids. I'm more patient in general. It's just different. Like my fuse is longer and it has to be just the ability to love yourself despite your past, despite your flaws, despite all those things and find a way to incorporate and use that to become a better business owner. Because I still need to pay the bills, you know? So I didn't want to lose my motivation and drive. Yeah. I just feel differently from the work that I was doing. Yeah. I feel like to the point that we made earlier in the episode of what's fueling that desire and that, you know, growth in the business? Is it from a scarcity space? Is it from people pleasing and doing what we think other people want from us? Is it strictly only for financial gain or to like get that dopamine hit of success consistently? Or is it more in alignment with who we are? And that same growth can still you know, potentially happen, but from a more like heart centered and intentional space. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that, that's it. Those are the questions people, I want people to kind of ask themselves. Yeah. Okay. So what can people do to support you? One, because I am all for supporting our fellow entrepreneurs in any way possible, but then also, especially for women that are listening to this, where can they find the book? couple of things. So we we set a big lofty goal. Our goal is to sell 10,000 books on launch day or oh. in pre-orders count to yes. this on launch day. So that's huge. I said it with confidence when I made the promise. Now I'm kind of freaking out about it. So would be an entrepreneurial journey if there wasn't a little bit of freak out. <laughs> it'll happen. So you could pre-order the book. It's going to it's really going to be everywhere. It's on Amazon right now. But if you prefer like Barnes and Noble or Books a Million or any of those places or, you know, indie bookstores that are close to you that they should be carrying them. It's distributed by Penguin Random House. So it's got distribution all over. So pre-ordering the book would be wonderful. If you wanted to get more involved and want an early copy of the book, we have a couple of options. If you want to join our launch team. We have lots of cool swag that's going to be sent out, shirts, fanny packs. I um, some of the uh, swag. You're always, yeah. you've always been really good I love with the swag. swag. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, I got it all. And then 
So you find that on our website. Just go to caseycompton.com. You can sign up for a launch team. Or if you're a book club person and want to host a book club, we have like a book club kit where we give you lots of cool stuff too. Oh, that's smart. Yeah. Yeah. I love lots, that. Lots of options, lots of yeah. opportunities to help us support this. Okay. And I know I mentioned it sort of in passing at the beginning, but the book is called In Search of You by <laughs> Casey Compton. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming out and talking about it. Well, it was nice seeing you again. I know. I'm glad I was the first today and you got me fully energized. (laughs) Yeah. I got my energy patch on. So I'm like, I was going to ask you after recording ended, but Uh now that you just said us during the recording, I, so for those listening, because you can't see us, as Casey was talking halfway through, I saw this red square on her wrist and I was like, is that a new tattoo? Because it was like really quick. Your hand kind of moved and it looked like a big red tattoo. And I was going to ask as soon as this ended, like, I don't think you have any tattoos, right? I don't remember ever seeing one. And I was like, this is very, you know, ballsy. I've heard to get her first one right on the wrist and the bright red. What is this? No, it's listen, these things have saved my life for real. It's called Vitamin Patch Club. There are these patches that you can just put on your skin and they have them for energy, for just regular vitamins, for biotin all the different things but anyway ever since i've been wearing these i have not had like any major sicknesses my energy levels are through the roof i must have been like vitamin deficient for the last 10 years i don't know but they absorb through your skin so they don't get digested through your stomach and what did you say it's called it's called vitamin patch club i'm gonna look this up i'm for real (laughs) like get the bundle make sure you get energy but they are the best things I have ever, like your focus is better. Your clarity is better. You sleep better. Everything. Yeah, and this I, might help because I have such a hard time getting my Adderall because of the shortage. So I haven't taken it in so long. And I don't know. I could use something. These are great. <laughs> they really, well, they you. really do. Yeah. Try it. Let me know. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming on. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening. Give us five stars on whatever podcast streaming service you use, and I'll see you next week.